Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome to the new episode of the FEPS Talk, where today we are going to look at the most difficult, challenging issue of the situation that occurred on the border between the European Union and Belarus. And we are absolutely humbled and honored to have in this episode with us uh, Włodzimierz Cimoszewicz, former Prime Minister of Poland, former Foreign Minister of Poland, former Speaker of the House, and currently uh, one of the leading members of the European Parliament in the S&D Group. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, good day, if I may add something. Uh, I'm also a resident of this area, which is located within the state of emergency zone along Polish-Belarusian border. Since you mentioned the problem of, on, on this border, I, I want you to know that I know it also from my personal experience, since my house is just there. I think I failed to mention that because uh, I consider you so much of my member of the European Parliament from Warsaw, but evidently uh, you are, of course, uh, from uh, within the border, which leads me to my very first question. There's so much being said about what the situation actually is, and there's so many views you can read about that. So maybe if we can walk a few steps back and uh, um, I could ask you to tell us what actually is happening, what's at the core of the problem uh, that we have now? You know, there's a discussion, is it a security situation? Is it a humanitarian situation? What led to that? So that's a bit of a direction I would like to kick off start our discussion today with. We probably have to think about the situation which occurred in Belarus after fraudulent presidential elections last year. As you know, Western democracies uh, have not recognized the victory uh, of Mr. Lukashenko and uh, do not recognize him as the, the constitutional president of, of that country. Relations between European Union and Belarusian authorities uh, have worsened significantly. Lukashenko has been criticized by us for his repressions against democratic organizations, against civil society, etc. And probably uh, after a couple of months of that kind of situation, he decided um, to change the dominating narrative in Belarus and also in Belarusian relations with uh, the other countries, especially with the European Union. So if somebody was cautious enough uh, and uh, and focus on potential problems uh, could uh, notice uh, that already almost half a year ago uh, Lukashenko declared uh, withdrawing Belarus from the treaties uh, uh, regulating the problem of so-called readmission. So in that moment he in fact declared that if there are any people crossing uh, Polish, uh, for instance Polish-Belarusian borders since uh, our bilateral readmission treaty was cancelled that way, and they crossed our border illegally, Belarus will not accept them back. So that was, of course, a signal uh, that should be noticed uh, and uh, well interpreted. That's my impression that at least uh, in my country, in Poland, uh, the authorities, the government uh, didn't notice that or didn't uh, treat that um, seriously enough. So, starting uh, last spring, some so-called illegal migrants, so people crossing the border illegally, uh, arrived in Lithuania, some of them also in uh, Latvia, but in Lithuania that became very fast a problem. Again, Polish authorities, I would say, didn't care very much about that and uh, made no preparations for 
uh, a similar situation on our border. And after some time, in August and in September, they started coming to Poland. Uh, we have a 400 kilometers long uh, border with Belarus. Half of it is uh, a river called Bug, Bug River. So there is probably a little bit more difficult, a little bit more risky to try to cross the border. But on the other half of 200 kilometers, these are rural areas and forests. Uh, uh, and uh, it was uh, very easy to, to cross it. Uh, so border guards uh, started or police started finding or catching uh, those people, uh, not just on the border, but also in the interior, uh, sometimes quite far away from the border. Then they realized that something must be done. So they decided to impose the state of emergency along the border. They deployed a lot of additional personnel, especially army and border guards from other parts of, of the country, a lot of police. Uh, and they started um, more intensively controlling the border. Then they decided to build a kind of fence made of uh, barbed wire. And we got that uh, situation, which we have now. At the very beginning, without any legal base, even a, a kind of, let's say, fake one, they decided to push back the people, back to, to, to Belarus. So, uh, we had some uh, really very dramatic cases of families with uh, small children, uh, which were pushed back several times. Um, we got some victims. I mean, uh, some people died because of the weather conditions, uh, because of the fact that they got to swamps, to, to the forest. They lost themselves. They didn't know how to get out uh, uh, from there. Then Polish authorities decided to adopt a special bill regulating that. Uh, allowing border guards and, and the army to push back uh, those migrants, which is, of course, from the in perspective of the international law, uh, something unacceptable. It is, in, in fact, a breach of uh, Geneva Convention, other regulations of how the migrants should be treated, also those who cross borders uh, illegally. And uh, now we have uh, quite a big uh, problem, since on the Belarusian side, the couple of thousands of those people trying to get to the European Union. Of course, Poland is not their destination. Probably 95% of them try to get to Germany. I heard many stories about uh, some of them who managed to cross the border, got to the nearest uh, small cities like Hainówka, uh, which is in my neighborhood, and they ask people on the on the streets if that is already Germany. Many of them do not know geography at all, do not know where they are, etc. So summarizing that, the problem has been created by Lukashenko. I believe that most important motives for him, reasons uh, were of political nature. As I said, changing the dominating narrative in uh, relations between Belarus and the outside world, but also in domestic propaganda in Belarus, uh, and probably his um, desire to somehow, let's say, counterbalance, counteract um, to the sanctions uh, imposed on Belarus and some Belarusian officials by European Union before, after those uh, mentioned uh, earlier fraudulent presidential elections uh, in, in Belarus. Polish reaction uh, has been uh, very controversial from my point of view. 
at least at the, at the very beginning, uh, when uh, the right of migrants to submit uh, the request, their pleas for asylum had been uh, neglected. Uh, and um, that, that, uh, that caused a lot of controversies also in the country. Why the Polish authorities uh, have reacted that way? I see also a political motivation for that. Like in Belarus, the ruling party, Law and Justice, managed to change dominating narrative in our country. In last months, the public support for this party has declined, has dropped down due to the very high inflation, due to ineffective fight with COVID pandemic, due to some other scandals, etc. And today, nobody's talking about inflation. Nobody's talking about women dying because of uh, ridiculously radical anti-abortion legislation. Everybody uh, is t talking about uh, the situation on the border, which explains a lot, at, at least in political perspective. And um, uh, there is no visible solution from the point of view of that kind of reaction, of uh, to that kind of policy on, on Polish side. I think that uh, what is needed, of course, is uh, stronger engagement uh, of the third parties, especially the European Union and the European Union member states. If you uh, want to, let's say, deepen that issue, we can go also in this direction. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, it uh, um, explains a lot of the complexity because you've also said the reaction of the European Union. But wasn't it the case that uh, the Polish authorities at the beginning said we are going to manage ourselves? This is uh, our kind of a thing. We don't need the European Union. Also, because everything that is in the background, you've mentioned uh, women's rights, you've mentioned uh, the other issues. Let's not forget the infringement procedures. Um, does it uh, make it any more complex for the European Union to react? Because if I look at the um, uh, last week's debate inside of the European Parliament, I saw also representatives of the party um, of uh, the uh, ruling coalition, uh, Law and Justice, um, trying to insist that this is the uh, security crisis, not a humanitarian crisis. I mean, lots has been uh, happening on the line, lots of tensions. So. What can be expected now when, uh, you know, there is a discussion that the European Union actually should do, but what European Union should and could do uh, would be my next question. Let me uh, comment on the, let's see, the, the, the size of the problem. Is it uh, something very big in nature of this, uh, of this uh, problem we face? Uh, beginning our conversation, you said about the uh, very important uh, problems uh, taking place there. Let me say that uh, without neglecting of this uh, challenge, of this problem, um, difficulty of it, uh, I would like to uh, notice that we are talking about uh, hundreds of other people or a couple of thousands of the people gathered on the border in last uh, more than two months, three months. In case of uh, some other European countries like Greece, Italy or Spain, it happened in the past that uh, there were dozens of thousands uh, of people entering illegally the um, uh, territory of those countries in a day. So uh, let's say from the perspective of, of statistics, it, it is not a very uh, uh, big problem. Uh, is it a kind of threat to the European security? No, at least not yet. Migrants are not a threat to our security and will not become a threat. Of course, nobody can exclude the possibility that among those hundreds or couple of thousands, there are some radicals. Uh, most of them came from Iraq, and uh, we all know that in, in Iraq, uh, 
in Syria, uh, there were some radical structures like uh, Islamic State. And uh, of course, some, some of those uh, fighters, radical fighters, may be, may, may be among those who try now to get to, to Europe. In fact, a year ago, we all expected that after defeating uh, that uh, Islamic State, uh, we can expect uh, some of them coming, trying to come to us. So we should be, of course, cautious. Uh, we should check all of them carefully. But uh, as a group, they do not constitute any kind of uh, real threat to us, to our security. So uh, this is a political uh, problem. Uh, this is, of course, a humanitarian problem. Uh, because uh, we are talking uh, about uh, the fate of thousands of people, which especially in uh, Polish uh, weather conditions in November, in, in December, is a real risk. I mean, it's, that creates a risk, you know. I check the for weather forecast for next two weeks, and in half of the time, uh, in the nights, there will be uh, temperatures below zero Celsius. Uh, and in a day, plus one, plus two degrees. Uh, I don't think I have to explain to anybody what does it mean to spend uh, a week, two weeks, three weeks somewhere in the forest, especially with small young children in that kind of weather condition. So this is a humanitarian problem and we should understand that. Uh, what the European Union can do and why the assistance uh, was uh, in fact rejected by Polish government. So they declared that they are able to control the situation themselves. So to verify that declaration, let me just say that according to official statements by German authorities, in last months, approximately 10,000 of migrants who earlier crossed Polish-Belarusian border got to Germany. That shows that uh, the, the present way of controlling the border by Polish institutions, by Polish personnel, is not effective at all. Probably 90% of those who tried to cross the border managed to do that and got to Germany the real destination. Uh, so why uh, in that situation Polish government rejects uh, uh, the offered assistance? In my opinion, there is just one uh, explanation. Now the government presents itself to Polish public opinion, especially to Polish public opinion, but also to other European countries as a defender of Poland and of Europe. This is in their political interest to present that uh, this way. Because, of course, if they create the climate atmosphere of threat, of fears, and they successfully uh, present themselves uh, as defenders, the only defenders, of course, they can uh, expect a, a, a stronger support for them. That is quite a natural situation. In situation of threat, uh, the government uh, is able to, uh, to achieve stronger support by the people who are afraid of uh, the further future developments. If there is Frontex personnel on the border, the government will, uh, uh, will have no more uh, that kind of um, uh, let's say ability to present itself as the only defender. Well, then, if there is a Frontex uh, personnel on the border, they will, of course, have to and they will respect the existing uh, law, legal uh, regulations. They will ex uh, they will respect internationally regulated procedures, etc., etc., uh, which is not the, what law and justice uh, authorities, government uh, wants to do. Uh, they don't want those people on Polish territory, even for a 
short period of time. I, I think that uh, European institutions should insist much stronger that Polish, uh, Polish authorities uh, have to allow European personnel to be present um, uh, on, on the border. It will allow European institutions to make, uh, let's say, precise, correct estimation of the situation. Uh, that will allow to make uh, right, proper decisions how to how to react, what to do, how to help, etc. European Union should also adopt much tougher decisions on economic sanctions on Belarus. So the recent decisions, uh, uh, which uh, uh, which provide uh, some personal sanctions against some officials, Belarusian officials. This is not going uh, not, not going to be effective. And in, I, I'm afraid that I, I can say that European Union, in, in fact, is compromising itself, uh, showing that it is uh, not able to adopt effective uh, decisions uh, to use effective tools. Uh, I wonder if you know that uh, Belarusian exports to the European Union countries has grown this year very significantly. For instance, in case of Germany, the biggest, let's say, importer of Belarusian goods, uh, they have sold in first nights of this year uh, for 40% more than last year. Four biggest uh, European uh, importers of Belarusian goods are Germany, Poland, Netherlands and Lithuania. So two countries uh, directly exposed to the provocation of Belarus, Lithuania and Poland, and one Germany, which is in fact a, a final destination for all those people. So at least those three countries have very good reason to react and they have tools at their disposal, but they don't use it and they don't insist on the European Council uh, to impose uh, tougher sanctions. This is very characteristic and um, that shows that the European Union has not taken necessary uh, decisions, not, has not made necessary steps uh, to stop the situation. Then, if that kind of decisions are adopted to prevent further uh, growth of the problem, I believe that most of those people on the border, starting with the families with kids, should be let in. And then they should be located in special let's say, centers for foreigners we have in our country. And then uh, they should be allowed to apply for asylum and that should be checked in a proper way, regulated by law. Those of them who do not uh, qualify for asylum should be deported. I think that it should be European, let's say, action, financed by, with European money. This is not a problem to transport three, four thousand uh, of, of people to their home countries. Uh, at the beginning of uh, COVID pandemic, European Union managed to uh, help one million Europeans to get back from the foreign countries they stayed uh, in, in that moment in time. So uh, let's not forget about those proportions. It shows that it is relatively easy to be solved. That just uh, needs uh, a political wisdom, political will and right decisions. Because you've mentioned, and of course uh, you are also part of the uh, European Parliament's delegation when it comes to EU-Russia uh, relations. And I have to ask as the follow-up question, because you've mentioned Russia 
in the background of uh, what you've just now been describing, also in the context of uh, uh, different declarations. We've been hearing that there have been a lot of phone calls happening between Russia, Belarus, uh, members of the European Union. Um, there have been, uh, Lukashenko have been has been saying that uh, he's going to try to influence uh, the situation um, by uh, limiting the uh, energy supply. Um, then it has been uh, sort of uh, pushed back that this is just an empty threat. So how does, because you've spoken and you've given so many both political economic arguments in the relations, also uh, European Union, Belarus, uh, in the context of the region, um, but where does the Russia place in this uh, whole situation? And uh, what is the geopolitics of uh, uh, what seems uh, from so many newspapers to be an escalating geopolitical conflict. Of course, um, having in mind the relations between Belarus and Russia, Lukashenko and Putin, one can say that uh, Lukashenko wouldn't make anything like that without kind of consent from Putin. As we know, Russia officially denies any involvement uh, in this situation, which is not a surprise. There is no hard proofs uh, uh, of the involvement. Uh, However, this is also true that uh, uh, to some extent they accept that uh, hawkish uh, rhetoric by Lukashenko. And for instance, uh, just recently, there were Belarusian and Russian maneuvers, uh, drills, yeah, drills uh, of the army units uh, just very close to the border. There, there, there were some information just a couple of days ago that two Russian uh, paratroopers died uh, in an accident uh, close to the border. So uh, Russians, they, yes, they declare that if Belarus is being in the danger, uh, they are going, of course, uh, to help them, to assist them. However, this is uh, absolutely, uh, let's say, political fiction. No, nobody is going to threat Belarus. Nobody uh, has any kind of intention like that. Uh, uh, Lukashenko quite often says that on, on Polish side of the border, uh, there is a concentration uh, of troops, of border guards. Yeah, but I understand this is a kind of reaction to his uh, activities, and uh, this is just a propaganda. When he threatened the uh, European Union that he may stop uh, gas supplies uh, through Yamal gas pipe to Poland and to Germany, uh, that was on the very same day rejected by Russian authorities. Uh, we should uh, uh, know that uh, all the gas greed on Belarusian territory belonging to a company called BL Transgas uh, was uh, sold to Russia years ago. So this is now the property of Gazprom. And this is Gazprom that will decide. And I don't think that they will let Lukashenko to interrupt supplies because it is a problem of the credibility of Gazprom. As, as we know, Gazprom plays now uh, its own, let's say, play with, uh, with European uh, customers, which results in very high prices of, of natural gas on our, on our markets. Uh, and will not let anybody else to get involved in what they try to do uh, with us. Uh, so uh, those threats uh, are, in my opinion, pure rhetoric. Uh, this, of, of course, very close relation between him and, and, and Putin. It's possible, of course, that, uh, that Russia tries to focus the international attention on this place and on this problem when it plans to do something different in different places. As, as we know, the uh, rumors, uh, suspicions uh, that uh, concentration of Russian troops uh, 
along uh, uh, border with Ukraine uh, may result in another invasion uh, on Ukraine territory. It's being uh, treated very seriously, especially by the United States. Uh, I cannot exclude that, but th- this is still just a theoretical possibility. And uh, where is NATO in that? Because in Poland currently there's a lot of discussion about the NATO involvement. You know, I, I will say something uh, probably controversial in Poland, but uh, I do not see much uh, of of role of NATO in this situation. That depends on how do we uh, treat the situation, how do we interpret it. Uh, if we really try to present it as a threat to the European security, yeah, okay, that uh, that that would be a reason to involve. Um, institutions like NATO. But I don't think that this is a threat to the European security. So, in fact, now having uh, consultations provided by Article 4 of Washington Treaty uh, will, let's say, add that uh, kind of security dimension to the problem, which is uh, really not needed, which is really not needed. There's nothing wrong, of course, uh, to have a a discussion also in NATO. It will not result uh, in any concrete decisions, let's say, of use of force or something like that. It will be politically profitable for for the present uh, government of Poland. There is a question, of course, uh, of uh, the the way of thinking of European and NATO officials, because when we listen to Madame von der Leyen or uh, when we listen to NATO Secretary General, we hear about hybrid war, we, we hear the, that, uh, that kind of rhetoric, which seems to confirm that there's been a threat to our security, which I disagree with. But, um, you know, uh, yesterday I I had a very interesting discussion about the whole issue we are talking about uh, within my political group. Uh, And many people express the opinion that, for instance, European Commission is too much focusing itself on uh, the, 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 the security, European security dimension, and not on the humanitarian dimension of, of this whole situation. And I must say, yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. So, of course, this is not just uh, the policy of law and justice in Poland, but uh, this is, a, let's say, intellectual and political problem present in, in discussion, present in thinking also, uh, international institutions and among European politicians. And I think because uh, we are coming towards uh, quite of a conclusive point, and you know, you've you've given a lot of reasons uh, why to think about that. Uh, first and foremost, from this uh, humanitarian perspective, uh, why a, a different uh, way of thinking would help resolving uh, the tension. I want to talk about uh, something that for social democrats uh, is uh, the first and obvious instinct: the solidarity. I mean, uh, your region, people from your region have been incredible. Um, They have been collecting uh, clothes, uh, uh, support, but it all doesn't get through. Um, We also have seen uh, a lot of mixed pictures. Recently, we've seen also the attempts from uh, Medics na Granice, so Medics on the the border, who uh, have been uh, also subjected to some unknown, one could say, uh, assault uh, while trying to help, simply help people who, as you say, are freezing, are hungry, have no access to the drinkable water. So, um, you know, how, because this solidarity is very genuine, it's something that can change uh, the chapters in the history. Uh, Do you think that it 
it can be helped further because you've mentioned the no access, uh, no access for media. I mean, it's a very selected picture. Yeah. So um, is there anything on this uh, very humane way that uh, we could do to uh, sort of save people's life? I think it's as simple as, th as that. Many people react uh, that way. I mean, that it is necessary to confirm their solidarity, to confirm their, let's say, moral motivations, beliefs, etc. However, of course, uh, situation just in that place uh, within the zone of state of emergency is psychologically and emotionally difficult. Uh, yes, there are some people who help and it is in general, let's say, legal. It may sound a little bit absurd that I confirm that th this is legal. Yes, this is legal, but those people are repressed. So this is not easy to do that. There are, many of them are afraid. But when, uh, but you can read uh, or hear stories uh, of people saying that suddenly they met in the, their garden, somebody freezing and so on. So what could they do? They just helped. At the very beginning, a um, couple of weeks ago, most of, of the local people seeing foreigners informed water guards. But then when uh, we all acknowledge uh, what uh, happens to such people, that they are pushed back, uh, with dramatic cases, uh, it is, let's say, less popular behavior. Uh, more people are, let's say, not harming migrants, but also not helping them. But yes, I confirm that there are quite a lot of local people who try to help. That there are medics, there are journalists who try to, to help or to cover, etc. But for instance, yesterday, there were three Polish journalists working for the media, including New York Times, who got to the, uh, the village uh, nearby Michałowo town, which is outside the zone of state of emergency. And they were treated very brutally uh, by uh, soldiers, by uh, army uh, personnel. Uh, they were uh, handcuffed. Uh, the uh, photo cameras were checked, the car was checked, police arrived, but policemen didn't introduce themselves. Pro the policemen didn't check who were the, uh, the soldiers. And um, then they led those journalists to, to leave the place. Uh, but uh, that shows how tense is the situation and how easy it is to be treated uh, let's say, in, in a way which is absolutely unacceptable and also illegal without any real consequences for those perpetrators. Uh, so it's not easy to help. Uh, but uh, yes, yes, people try. Uh, will it have uh, any, let's say, direct impact on the policy of the government? I doubt. But there is a big problem that uh, whole our society, our nation faces uh, about our moral condition, I mean, our moral situation. Because I wouldn't go so far to compare the situation with the situation of Jews during the war. But in a sense, there are some similarities. Do we care about foreigners who are in trouble, in need, whose lives uh, are under threat? Uh, or not? Do we care or not? This is a very uh, fundamental moral question for all of us. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the present situation uh, strengthens different positions. On the other hand, on, on one hand, decent people feel themselves uh, badly, and many of them try to do something at least to visit the place. Uh, you know, uh, Polish quite famous actor, uh, Mr. Stur, who visited the region with his wife, 
And uh, yesterday, the grave of his ancestors uh, had been demolished uh, by somebody in Krakow city, city of Krakow, far away. So also radicals, nationalists, populists, they, uh, those people who are xenophobic, presenting the racist um, beliefs, uh, became more radical. And that even deepens the existing uh, divisions within our society. They used to be uh, mostly political, but now they also become to be moral divisions. And uh, yes, that, that will be in the future a big problem for us. Mr. Prime Minister, this has been an incredibly uh, enriching conversation because you've run us uh, through so many complex issues, also showcasing each time that it's important to understand uh, what is at hand. It's important to gear the political will to act, but it's also important uh, to keep in mind uh, that uh, what kind of solutions are at hand and should be pursued. Thank you so much for finding the time for us uh, today. This has been an incredibly important talk for us, and it was an honor and a pleasure to have you with us. Wojciech Szymoszewicz, member of the European Parliament, SND Group, has been your guest at this episode of the Fab Talks. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FebsTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. <laughs>